Welcome to Time Out with Troy on 101.9 FM. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Time Out with Troy. I am your host, Troy Langstaff. I want to make a note before we start. I think out of all the shows that I've done up to this point, I'm confident in saying that this show is going to make the top five. And I say that because this week I got a really great interview. I got the chance to sit down with Josh Mosley of the Queens football team, and he's the Queens director of the Autism Mentorship Program. And we got to chat about his background with the program and their new Learn to Play video series. So you're going to hear all about that uh, in a couple minutes. Um, after the interview, I'm going to talk about some golf news. I haven't really talked about golf so far, so I'm excited to talk about that. We'll get into some Australian Open tennis news, uh, my predictions on the the final matches there, and then we'll get into some hockey, basketball, maybe football. It all depends on on where I'm at for time. Might have to drop some stuff. But first, as always, on this day in history. Back in 1931, the very first telecast of a sporting event was aired in Japan. It was a baseball game. I read this and was confused at first. You know why? Because I didn't think it was. I I know that I had heard a couple times that the Berlin Olympics back in 1936 was the first sports broadcast. So I did some research, found out that it's it's very well known that that the 36 Berlin Olympics were the first broadcast. Um, I didn't see many other links that indicated that Back in 31, the, the, this Japan baseball game was the first broadcast. It was also uh, repetitive. I saw a couple different links of a baseball game in 1939 between Columbia and Princeton. Uh, this was carried by NBC to about, you know, 400 sets. And this this one was, this site was, or this, this was very repetitive. I saw this a couple times. So it's pretty disputed on, on which one was first. But that's, you know what, that's your on your first on this day in history someone's lying anyways before we listen to the interview uh, with Josh I just want to share some background information on the program and the learn to play video series before we get going because I didn't really mention it before I started asking them before I started peppering them with questions so the learn to play video series well I guess the goal of the autism mentorship program in one sentence I guess is is for these athletes to you know create lasting relationships and provide an athletic resource to those on the spectrum, those with autism who, you know, might not otherwise have access to these activities. The Learn to Play specific uh, program or series that they started, uh, started on February 2nd, and their plan is to release 30 videos in total over the course of the next 10 weeks. Over 30 Queens varsity athletes have participated or are planning to participate and producing the videos. And Josh is sort of sort of leading that series and, and the program for Queen's students. So Josh was a great interview. And, you know, with that being said, enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm here with fifth year Queen's student and Queen's director of the Autism Mentorship Program, Josh Mosley. Josh, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So my first qu- couple of questions are about you and your history with AMP. And then we'll get into the Learn to Play series. So to start off, um, I know the AMP was launched back in 2017. So when did you first get started with it? And then how did you manage to find yourself as the director? Yeah, so I, I started with it uh, in 2017 during its inception. Um, but I started off as just a, a mentor and then on the Kingston board, uh, basically as a secretary, just helping out uh, assistant to the, the founder, Emilio Fermetta, who was a teammate of mine on the football team. And then when... Um, when Emilio graduated from Queens and he moved on, he moved to Ottawa, he kind of left the program uh, with me and then 
I continue to build it with him in the background, kind of growing the program to Ottawa. And um, so that's kind of how I found myself as, as the director of AMP. And um, we've been going strong since then. Yeah. Awesome. So another question just in regards to you being director, you know, what is your, for us who don't really aren't inside, what is your role on a, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So under normal circumstances, um, myself as a director, just day-to-day operations in Kingston. So I'd be facilitating pairings uh, with my teams. So there's about five or six of us on the team, depending on time of the year uh, and, and when people are graduating. And our main goal is to facil- facilitate um, pairings between student athletes and, and youth in the community on the autism spectrum. And then uh, two or three times each semester, we'll organize um, events that kind of bring our community together. So whether it's organizing for a Queens game, like a basketball or a hockey game or a volleyball game, or organizing uh, an event within the AMP community for a Kingsman Frontenacs game. So my roles are pretty much just to, to facilitate um, the pairings and then to uh, field ideas from my teammates about kind of what events we should do and kind of move forward with an action plan and then get on to marketing it and getting it out to our community. And that's pretty much the, my role. And then it's kind of just been uh, rolling with the punches during COVID and just doing what we can to um, deliver our, our resource online now. Yeah, that sounds, sounds very busy actually. Um, but you also just sort of mentioned or answered my next question here is, just to get a sense of, you know, what the program would normally look like in a non-COVID year. And, you know, here's to hoping that we can get back to it soon. Uh, what would a normal in-person uh, or one-on-one session look like? Yeah, so I, I'm a mentor myself as well. Uh, so basically, we facilitate based on um, the, the youth's interests and um, needs, and then the sport that the athlete plays and kind of a little bit of background bio on them. We facilitate a, a pairing. And then it kind of, we leave it to them uh, or to the athletes and the, the family to, to communicate throughout the week and, and build the relationship. And then it's just a matter of figuring out a good time throughout the either weekly or bi-weekly to, to meet up. And then, um, so for example, my buddy and I, Jim, we just hang out in the arc under normal circumstances. We'll play basketball, we'll walk around, we'll go to a, a field and kind of throw the ball around. We'll grab a, a drink or a snack from uh corner store and then just kind of um hang out but uh with an emphasis on motor skill development social development and just mainly building a relationship and then i think once you do that everything else kind of just follows yeah that's what i was gonna say i think that's the the main thing is just to create the relationship there then like you said everything sort of falls into place um another two-part question here uh, i'm assuming you guys are still connecting you know, one-on-one, whether it be virtually, and then what's the most challenging part about not being in person? So we've actually, we put a hold on the pairings for, for at least this year. Um, we, we floated the idea of, of doing pairings on Zoom, but we thought that we would be better served to devote a lot of our attention and our energy to, uh, to, to launching this video series. So we're still fielding uh, different options for facilitating pairings moving forward and to see if something on zoom would be good or, or just wait until we can be back in person. Uh, but we've mostly devoted our, our attention to, uh, to the video series and kind of promoting that and then, and then getting out that out there to our community and then to the, the wider Kingston uh, community, whoever basically finds it valuable, but we've had a great roster of athletes uh, come, uh, come out and say they're prepared to, to volunteer and give their time. However, however, basically, helps us the most and 
So we've said that uh, filming these videos would be would be great. So we had a great we had a great showing from the Queen's community doing that. And um, moving forward, you know, the, the options are open for how we're going to continue to deliver the resource. Yeah, awesome. I think that's really good that everyone's sort of coming together and liking the idea. Um, but like you mentioned, in terms of the Learn to Play series, how did that idea come to fruition? What was the background on that? Yeah, so last spring before the COVID shutdowns, we were floating the idea. So we, we had the, the one-on-one pairings was a staple in our program. And then bringing people together for different games was also something that we did. But we thought, why don't we bring more of a, a team community mentor event? So we thought we'd do learn to play days with different teams. So our first learn to play day was with the football team because that's I'm, I'm on that team. So it's just easiest to facilitate. And we had some kids from our program come out and some players and we just did some drills and just pretty much had a pretty informal, fun little afternoon of just tossing the ball around and doing some drills. And then COVID kind of put an end to that all in person. And we thought, well, how can we kind of transfer this and pivot the service online? And we thought, well, why don't we do a 30 part uh, video series kind of filming different exercises and activities with different progressions within the videos to kind of make it accessible for different um, varying levels of capability and put those out progressively. So we can kind of have an online catalog of activities, exercises that uh, anyone can access. So we've, trying to, we've tried to capture the, the spirit of the learn to play days and just move it to a, an online platform. Yeah, I think like you said, one of the most valuable things is you know that anyone can access it, right? It's not just who you guys are working with and, and AMP, right? But I know you guys are only, you know, a couple of weeks into the video series, but have you gotten much feedback? And if so, what's that feedback been like from the participants? Yeah, it's been good. We've had um, my buddy in particular, uh, Jim and his family, they said they've, they've really enjoyed the videos. They've liked it. They're an active family. So uh, I thought, you know, if, if, if this can help at all with facilitating your activity, I know you guys have a, a pretty good plan, but they've enjoyed them. They thought they were accessible and, uh, we're looking forward to actually seeing, we're hoping to get um, more videos and pictures of actually people participating. So we're sending out these bags uh, that kind of have different materials that you need to participate in the video. So yoga mats, balls, frisbees, et cetera. And we're hoping that we can send those out and then get some videos and pictures of, of people in our, in our community kind of participating in the video series with, with the bags. Um, but no, all feedback and uh, has been positive thus far. So we're just hoping to continue to, to broaden our reach through Kingston and, and beyond and get more feedback on how people are enjoying it. Yeah. That's actually a really cool idea that you mentioned there sending people, you know, a little bag of the stuff that they need to do it that might, you know, entice a few more people to, to get involved with it. That's pretty cool actually. And, and lastly, uh, my last question here for you is, you know, what if something, what are some things that you've learned or that you've taken away from this online experience that you can take into the future with the program? Um, just that, oh, I, I think there's no need to unnecessarily, um, narrow our, our, our scope, basically that providing a resource online kind of has opened our eyes to the fact that there is, there are people in, there are people in need, there are people that we can help serve or facilitate outside of the Kingston area and, um, an online resource is something that has a much broader scope and a broader reach. So it's kind of opened our eyes to the fact that we can, we can, we can broaden our scope pretty much and, and be a little bit more global about how we think about uh, AMP and, and the, the resource we deliver. So we're just hoping to you know, continue promoting this series and see how far it can reach. And if it can reach throughout Canada and, um, and abroad, that would be excellent because you know, the internet and online video is, a, is an incredible resource. And we just hope that whoever can get value from it. So 
it's uh it's a really it's a really neat thing for us right now just seeing how far we can reach yeah i think you know what that is a good idea to really not put a ceiling on it right now or not have a an end goal just see how far you guys can go with it like i said you're only a couple weeks in so that'd be cool to to see how far you guys can put it you know maybe get outside the kink scenario and stuff like that exactly the great thing about it being a a 10 week series is, is just going to continue, continually be released and the videos will build up in a catalog on our, on our YouTube page. Uh, but each week there'll be some, there, there'll be new content coming out. So hopefully we can attract some new viewers or new families or, or schools or community organizations that say, Oh, Hey, look at, look at this. This is something that we can use as curriculum or use uh, in our, in our living room just to kind of get us moving a little bit. So, and that'll just, that'll keep coming out for the next multiple weeks. So it's, it's good. Yeah, honestly, there's a lot of, of positives with the the video series and having these things, you know, be timely and you can go back and do whenever. But, um, you know, well, that's awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the rest of the series and enjoy the rest of your reading week. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, great stuff there. And once again, I'd like to thank Josh for sitting down with me and chatting. As you guys can clearly tell, he's very passionate about what they're doing there, and he was very kind and very easy to chat with. So thank you, Josh. Okay, so let's get into some golf news. It's really not about any tournaments that have come that have popped up in the in the, in the past few weeks, but I want to talk about Phil Mickelson. The way that I get my ideas for the show is I have my notifications on for the score app. So every time an article pops up and I'm interested about it, I'll sort of jot it down. And this is one of the things that caught my eye. Phil Mickelson, he's eyeing a lead analyst role. You know, if, if he uh, plans on retiring in the next couple of years, he joined uh, Jim Nance and Nick Follow during CBS's broadcast of the 2020 PGA Championship last year. And people were loving it. Um, it sort of seems like his golf career is winding down. He's finished in the top five. Only once on the PGA Tour in the last year, he's missed cut. He's missed the cut in eight of his last 17 starts. But you know, a promising thing, which may make you think that he's not going to retire soon, is he won both the starts on the Champions Tour last year. And for those of you that don't know, the Champions Tour is for those that are 50 plus. Like I said, Mickelson turned 50 last year, but I think it would be super cool to see him in an analyst role. I think Phil reminds me of Tony Romo in the NFL. He was very good during his career as a, as a quarterback Romo was and then he's known for you know predicting plays and he's a very vocal guy he got the Super Bowl he got to call the Super Bowl in one of his first couple of years of doing broadcasting or color commentating so I think I think if there's one guy that I had that I had to compare Mickelson to it would be Romo or I guess that I had to compare Romo to would be Mickelson I don't know. Anyways, it would be cool to see Mickelson in the in, in the booth. I think he's a really uh, vocal guy. He's very he's very fun to listen to. He makes lots of jokes, and you know I think it'd be cool. Uh, second point in golf news is a Happy Gilmore anniversary. The Tuesday, a couple days ago, marked the 25th anniversary of the release of the movie Happy Gilmore. Adam Sandler, who played Happy Gilmore, posted a video of his signature shot to all the social media channels. It was all over social media. I mean, I saw it like every second post when I was scrolling through Instagram on Tuesday. Um, Christopher McDonald, who played Shooter McGavin in the movie, responded with a video of him draining a four-footer on his carpet inside his house. I don't know what that was supposed to be in response to. I guess, nice four-footer on the carpet, buddy. Anyways, it seemed like the last 25 years have really weighed heavily on Shooter since not winning that gold jacket all the way back in 1996, but it was, it was pretty fun. I mean, if you didn't see it, I'd highly recommend to go check it out. It is super funny. Um, quickly moving on, we're rolling through these topics here. Australian Open. 
tennis tournament here, one of the Grand Slams. Uh, the men's singles, it's kind of weird. I want to make some predictions here, but it's kind of weird with the timing of this recording and the semifinal matches. The semifinal matches in the men's single are Novak Djokovic uh, versus the, Rus- the Russian Karatsev. That's one of the semifinal matches. Djokovic has struggled in this Australian Open. It seems like he's only won one of his games, uh, three sets to nothing. Karatsev beat Gregor Dimitrov, who was 18th ranked. He beat the Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime, uh, three sets to two. He was down to nothing. That game goes, I guess, at the time of the, I recorded this on on last last night at about 10 p.m. The match went this, I guess, Thursday morning at 3:30 a.m. Eastern time. I think I'll say this now. I guess this is Wednesday night at 10. I predict that Djokovic is going to win that match, but I don't think he's going to win the tournament. He'll win a semifinal match. But moving on to the other semifinal match, it's uh, Medvedev versus Tsitsipas. Alexander Medvedev um, has only only one of his matches this tournament went to five sets. All other were three sets to nothing. He's dominated this tournament. He's looked rock solid. And Tsitsipas came down came back after being down two sets to nothing versus Rafa Nadal in the quarterfinal. That match also goes, well, doesn't also go, goes, that game will go Friday at 3.30. I think uh, Medvedev is going to win that one, and then he'll beat Djokovic in the finals. There's my prediction. Medvedev over Djokovic in the Australian men's singles finals. Okay, I'll come back to that next week. Uh, my predictions have not been very good lately. I'm 0 for 3 on football. I, don't, I didn't even want to do them today, but I decided to do it. You know what? I, I'm going to break... That streak, that losing streak, we're going to turn things around. It's going to be good. Moving on to the women's singles. Carolina Muchova, 25th ranked women player versus Jennifer Brady. Jennifer Brady, excuse me, the 24th ranked women's singles player. Um, these are a couple of women who I, I, I've been following tennis, I guess, since the last four or five years. I played tennis in high school, but I, I never, I haven't heard much uh, about these two ladies. Um, Muchova beat a lot of ranked, well, I guess, three namely ranked players on her on route to this the semifinal matchup uh Karolina Pliskova who's sixth ranked in the world Elise Mertens who was ranked 18th and Ashley Barty from the UK who is ranked number one in the world Karolina Muchova has never won a Grand Slam and Brady also has never won a Grand Slam this is only her second semifinal appearance in 15 Grand Slam appearances that match goes tonight actually in an hour at 11 15. Um, if I had to pick someone, I'll say I'll say Muchova because her route has been her route to the semis has been a little bit harder than Brady's, I guess. So I'll say Muchova. Well, I guess I'll explain the other semifinal matchup. The other sem- the other semifinal matchup is uh, Naomi Oseka versus Serena Williams, the 23 year old versus the 39 year old. Oseka is looking for her fourth Grand Slam title, her second Australian, and Serena Williams is looking to tie Margaret Court for 24 Grand Slam championships, which is the most in women's singles. I think Naomi Oseka is the one person you should keep an eye on. If you if you think someone's going to sort of contend Margaret Court and Williams for those 20, uh, 23 and 24 Grand Slam titles, it'll be Oseka. She's only 23 years old. Like I said, she's already won three. I think Oseka's going to beat Williams and then beat Brady in the finals. So just to recap, Oseka over Brady in the women's finals and Medvedev over Djokovic in the men's finals. So that's all for golf, that's all for tennis, and moving on to hockey. The one thing that I want to start with here is some more predictions. Might as well do it. I just did my tennis, we'll do some hockey, and hockey's kind of confusing. I guess lately the 
the in the last couple shows the predictions that I've been doing have been football but now that football's all over there's not much to look forward to really I guess it's just baseball hasn't started basketball's sort of getting into the groove of things or maybe a month and a half into their season and the NHL's just over a month in there's a couple interesting games going on this weekend the uh, games at Lake Tahoe there's two games one game on Sunday one game on Saturday both games are being held without fans listen to this on the 18th fairway of the Edgewood Tahoe Resort in Nevada, which is on the south shore of Lake Tahoe. So it's kind of like these games were in, or I guess they're replacing the Winter Classic games, which they postponed or canceled, whatever you want to say. Though These games are sort of replacing them. The first game on Saturday is, is Las Vegas versus Colorado. And this will be the third straight meeting versus, versus each other. I think that's one interesting thing to note with this season this COVID season is that these teams are playing everyone in the division about seven or eight times. And there's lots of mini series just last week, St. Louis and Arizona played seven straight games versus each other. That's like, a, that's like a playoff series, but I guess the good thing is that the, they won't see each other again all season, or they might play at least maybe once or twice more. And then maybe in the playoffs, who knows? We'll see. But Vegas and Colorado third straight versus each other. They split the last two earlier this week. And then after this game on Saturday, they'll play once more next Tuesday. But as for a prediction goes, these teams are both top three in their division. Um, just for the sake of picking a winner, I'm going to pick Colorado. I'm not going to do a score because I've been so off with the football scores lately. I'm simply picking Colorado. As for the second game that weekend, that goes Sunday, Philadelphia Flyers versus the Boston Bruins. Boston has dominated Philly all season long. Boston's 4-0. Two of those games went to extra time. One was in the shootout, one was in overtime. But we're going to say Philly. Why? I don't know. Who cares? Philadelphia is going to win that game. Moving on. Now, Philly's going to win that game just, well, if you ask why, it's because I don't like Boston and I'm going to cheer for Philly. That's it. That's the only reason. I don't want Boston to win. Next. Last week, I talked about COVID postponements in the NHL, which is unfortunate. But right after a bunch of teams get back after having their long break, I know Buffalo just played their first game in a couple of weeks. Minnesota played their first game in a couple of weeks. I think Nashville was also in there due to the COVID postponements and... Nashville just came back and now they're having a couple games postponed, not due to COVID, but due to a storm in Texas. There was two games, Dallas versus Nashville. Two hockey games were postponed due to the weather, which is just crazy. This season, I think Bill Daly, well, Bill Daly was saying that um, they're hoping to start the playoffs on time. They have a lot of, they have a lot of space, I guess, a lot of room to push back if needed, but they don't think they're going to need to push the playoffs back. As for our predictions, I made all the predictions, but I'm going to go back on some predictions that I made earlier in the season. In my very first show, I made some predictions on the North Division on where some teams were going to finish. I think I said that Ottawa wasn't going to finish last in the division, and I couldn't be more wrong. I think out of all the... <laughs> All the football predictions were wrong, but for some reason, I think this one's worse. I don't know why I thought Ottawa was going to finish sixth or better in this division right now they're sitting at nine points vancouver's next at 15 i mean ottawa has two games in hand but that team is horrible they have a minus 29 goal differential i mean they beat toronto a huge comeback earlier in the week which was insane i'm a habs fan so i'd love to see that against the leafs but i that, that was brutal i'm almost embarrassed to say that i also said that the leafs weren't gonna finish first in the division that is also looking like I'm going to be wrong. The closest team is is Montreal, who is six points back of them. Montreal doesn't play until Sunday. 
which means that they'll have about two or three games in hand. But I don't know. If, I don't think Montreal is going to catch them. I don't think any team's going to catch Toronto for that matter. That team's just just too solid. And here's a good one though. My Montreal Canadiens. I said that they were going to finish top three in division, and so far so good. So far so good. Like I said, we're just over a month in, but I don't think any other like Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver. I don't know if any of those teams are gonna, really going to make a huge push. For a top three spot, I don't think two teams are going to push Montreal out of that top three. But we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I have I haven't been right so far this year. So we'll see what happens. Moving on to some, some NFL drama. Actually, no, we'll go to the NBA. I talked about this last week with John. This might be, we might have, I think we're going to have time for maybe one or two more topics. So I'll start with the NBA All-Star Game. John and I talked about it uh, last week, but the NBA has now finalized their all-star game plans they've decided that the skills challenge and the three-point contest yeah the skills challenge the one where they they run around all those things and throw it in the back it's not very exciting it's like the lesser of the the three all-star game events but the skills challenge and the three-point contest um, are going to happen prior to the game on march 7th the dunk contest is going to be at halftime and a lot of players like John and I were talking about do not like the idea. Like, what's the point? Obviously, everyone knows that it's about the money, but no one wants to do it. I don't know. I don't think I've heard one NBA player talk about how they're super excited to go to this all-star game. The players are required to travel to Atlanta one day prior, and then they have to leave following the game. Only a limited amount of family members are allowed. Of course, all of them must undergo COVID testing. And players and family can obviously only leave the hotel to it to attend all-star events we'll see what happens i'm sure the players are gonna you know go all out like it means something which they do every year but it certainly isn't gonna have that impact with no fans that's basically what makes it the most fun is having all these celebrities at the nba all-star game having the interactions between the players and the fans and the coaches so it's not it's certainly not going to be the same but we'll see what happens we'll see if the players can you know make something out of it one more thing jj watt I think John and I also talked about this last week. J.J. Watt and the Texans have officially and mutually agreed to part ways. Watt released a you know a two-minute video just this past week on his social media thanking the city of Houston. He didn't want to release a classic pair, two-sentence, two or three-sentence spiel in his notes app and then screenshot it and post it. The guy wanted to do it the proper way, in my opinion. I think that's the better way to do it is you know release a video and say some words that might actually come from the heart. J.J. Watt spent his whole entire 10-year career with Houston, selected 11th overall back in 2011. And in an, in an article uh, written, like I said, all my ideas come from interesting topics that I that I get notified from the score. But in an article written by Alex Chippen of the score, he listed five teams that Watt could be a good fit to. Number one is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I didn't think this was a good idea. or I didn't, Not that I didn't think it was a good idea. It's that I didn't think there was much sense or much good reason backing the idea to go to the Steelers. Um, but the, but it is a good idea for these two reasons. The Steelers are in a market, in the market for an edge rusher, and his two brothers play there. I didn't think that was a good idea because this guy's like 30, what did I say? He's 31 years old. He's a grown man. Like he doesn't need to play with his brothers, but his brothers are both, both good players. Like I said, TJ Watt was in the running for the Defensive Player of the Year award. And it does, it is a good reason for for what 
Uh, the second team there is the Buccaneers. I think they're saying that if Watt really, you know, just wants to win a Super Bowl, I think the Bucks are a good team to go to, especially right now, hot off of a Super Bowl win. The third team are the Raiders. The Raiders are brutal defensively. After releasing Khalil Mack three years ago, they've ranked 32nd, 26th, and 24th in pressure rate, and Watt would help them there. The fourth team is the Packers. This would also make sense because J.J. Watt is from Wisconsin. He played at the University of Wisconsin. And Watt is very strong at defending the run, and Green Bay struggled there last year. And the fifth and final team is the Tennessee Titans. They were 28th in pressure rate in 2019, and it only got worse last season. And their head coach, Mike Vrabel, worked with Watt in Houston, so there's already some familiarity there. So we'll see what happens. I am... It will be weird to see J.J. Watt in a different uniform. You know, J.J. Watt's one of those star players with the Houston Texans. It'll be weird to to see him not in a Texans uniform like Tom Brady. It was super weird to see him in a Bucks uniform for the first time. But we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see. You know, Watt's going to help any team no matter where he goes. But it'll be fun to watch. And you know what? I almost feel happy for the guy that he might get to go to a team that actually has a chance of winning. Texans have been mediocre, never been past the divisional round or maybe once or twice in the last decade, or at least since Watt's been there. But that's going to do it for time. But I'm going to end it quickly with another On This Day in History. Back in 1974, oh, I forgot I put this one in here. Uh, 49 people die in a stampede for seats at a soccer match in Egypt. Probably could have picked a different one. But anyways, that's all for tonight. Thanks, guys, so much for listening, and stay safe, everyone.